0: This week's episode is brought to you in part by FNX Fit, a fitness supplements brand that can get you hooked up with all of your pre, post, during, workout needs, as well as other nutritional supplements. Use checkout code CARLPOOLING at fnxfit.com to get 15% off your order. Carl Pooling Hunter, let me stop you right there before you even get started. I have a new obsession. Okay. It's cricket.
1: You've been watching cricket.
0: In my effort to slowly transform this podcast into the bugle, I have started watching <laughs> cricket. Now hold on a minute, because I never thought that I would be Zoltzman.
1: Oh. I, yeah.
0: al- I always thought that I would be John
1: Oliver, but That that's shocking.
0: This is where we find ourselves. Hunter, cricket is the best sport. Did you know? (laughs) I don't don't think
1: you believed yourself.
0: (laughs) A game of test cricket can last for five days.
1: Uh, Five days. I didn't know test cricket had anything to do with the type of cricket being played, but I did know that cricket could last for like several days. I'll Um, explain
0: it to you, Hunter. It's very easy. Okay, Okay, I'm ready. In cricket, there are two batters and 11 fieldsmen, um, 11 people on on each team, with the 12th as an alternate in case of injury. Okay, simple enough. The two batters bat simultaneously. I don't know why. I guess they've never seen baseball. They bowl six balls at a time. Now, once you've bowled six balls, that's called an over. Now, a game can last of a certain number of overs. There's T20 cricket, which has 20 overs for each team. There's uh, one-day cricket or 50-over or cricket, and then there is Test cricket, which is like no limit. Hold them! It hold them. It's like let's just play till everybody gets out. And that's what's the coolest part about cricket, Hunter. For one, in baseball, you have three outs, right? <sighs> And yeah, once you have three outs, you go from the top of the inning to the bottom of the inning. This is a terrible system. In cricket, they don't have outs. They have dismissals. <laughs> and when they get someone out, they say, the batter has been dismissed. That's dismissed actually a fantastic. token. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but it gets better because the game doesn't, there's not like a set number of outs. It's uh-huh. once you have dismissed all of the batters so that they cannot field a team of two batters that's when the game ends. That or when the number of overs you've bowled has met the number of overs scheduled to be bowled on that specific day. But in test cricket, that's why it lasts so long because they just keep batting until everyone is dismissed twice on both teams. Good lord. Um, Now, Hunter, let me tell you a little bit about the history of cricket. Yep, I'm going to go run my errands. The the only only history (laughs) I care about. Is the ashes have you heard about people talking about the ashes
1: Christopher Christopher? No, I didn't know there was an ogre cricket or whatever the heck we're talking about. I didn't no. know there were any ashes involved either.
0: There are ashes, hunter, and the ashes are back like in the eighteen hundreds Australia played the u k and this English uh journalist the first time that England r- lost said that English cricket had died, and the ashes had been transported to australia what is so just a super mean? overwrought line now they hold a tournament every two years called the ashes where the australians and the english play five test matches back to back to back 100 that's 25
1: days of cricket good <laughs>
0: play. lord
1: but it's one game there's and one winner after 25 days
0: that's right and it's all about some snarky Comment journalist journalist made back in the 1800s like we should name a tournament after that crikey amazing oh, it is simultaneously the greatest and and most insane sport hunter yeah this is true you know how like in football we have the commentary booth where you have like two people discussing the game of football right. as it's being played. John Madden okay. is
1: saying, I, I'd i love to have a steak dinner right now. And the other person's like, it's a football game, John, calm down.
0: Yeah. You've got, you've got it. John,
1: okay. please get away from the
0: fridge. John, don't touch, don't touch the cheerleaders, John. John, what are you doing? Put it down. Um, just like that. Okay. So how buck wild would it be if in the middle of the the broadcast they simply hand delivered a lapel mic to uh, Tom Brady and he just commented on the game with the commentators live while he was playing. How wild would that be no I love not, that <laughs> not 100 don't be confused not while he's on the sidelines right while he's in the the danged huddle. This is what they do. They will literally give a lapel mic to the to the bull, which is effectively the pitcher. And they'll just be like, and, and here's the thing, they're not even nice
1: to him. They're oh, just, wait, they're taking the piss out of him the whole yeah, time? Yeah, they'll
0: just be like, oh, he's not going your way down there, is it, Chris Crumpet? <laughs> he's like, "Ah, oh, we would have liked to have a bit, a bit of a better showing. The the, the pitch is moving a little quick for us today and got some bad wow. bounces, unfortunately. It's hilarious and he and then he'll be like oh bollocks and dive for a ball because he's playing the game. It is the greatest thing in the entire world. So anyway, I'm quitting carpooling and I'm like full-time cricket now. It all is right. the most amazing sport. It makes me regret the the revolution like a yeah. little bit. Yeah, a we little bit because all, it's so all that good hilarious.
1: Tea all that east india trading company money just gone
0: um, it's so funny I, I i have no idea why we haven't like mic'd up a lineman and just put
1: them in the commentary booth i i know exactly why we haven't done that i know yeah, but,
0: Comple- but they swear too they don't care oh really
1: oh wow it's okay so funny <laughs> oh yeah.
0: okay never mind the other the other the well, I mean, you know, it's England, so they care less about swearing, I guess. I was, I just was listening about to in say, Australia, yeah. I suppose. But this guy is playing like effectively shortstop. Um what what we might call shortstop is that they call him like the third man. Okay. And uh and I, I know he's yeah, he's talking to him back and forth and the the batter just cracks one and he's like yeah, he's a he's good for a rookie. He's really shot Oh, bloody hell. <laughs> just shows the ball just going over his head. Oh man. All right, anyway. Probably wow.
1: enough about cricket, but holy cow. I don't know. If that the- could be a new uh a new uh, dynasty for us to take over. Yeah, we could be cricket pooling. Mm, there, we'll there's nobody it. doing that cricket like podcast yet, right? Yeah. No, I'm sure <laughs>
0: No one is doing it, and Andy soltzman definitely isn't one of the nobodies that's doing it.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, I will go start reading about cricket. I will see you uh, when I am 37. It's truly a fantastic game. Um, yeah. Of course,
0: you watch one test match, and then you're an old man. So. Sure. Sure. Anyhow. All right, what Hunter, a, uh, what enough, my, enough of my rambling. Oh, man, it's so funny. Tell everyone why they're here.
1: They are here because this is Carl Pooling, which is a talk show between two brothers that is guaranteed to get you fired. Uh, we stake our livelihoods on it, and we hope that you playing this at full volume at your desk ensures that no proper boss HR department Or uh, some other third thing will want to keep you employed uh, for for a long time. Uh, It's a show about politics. It's a show about religion. It's a show about science, philosophy, psychology, and art. All the things you're not supposed to talk about uh, outside the four corners of your mind. Uh, And today, Christopher, we've got quite a spicy topic for the people back home in the back seat, as we like to call them. Uh, Oh, so spicy so spicy i went to the kitchen and grabbed all the habanero peppers i could find uh which was none because my wife forgot to stock up on them from her last trip to the store boom that yeah, we was did still have some dry
0: <laughs> nice <laughs> you're fired sexism is spicier than cayenne in my estimation fair um, enough uh hunter before we even get into it uh-huh. i have a correction to make
1: oh what do we do wrong
0: this correction is actually. Or what did two, I do wrong that you're about to correct? <laughs> okay. I, it was me. It was me.
1: Oh, okay, fair enough.
0: I, I did a really stupid thing. I mentioned in passing, uh, James O'Keefe, the only real journalist left in America, and his takedown uh-huh. of CNN, which I said that the chairman of CNN was named Mark Zucker. I'm sorry, it's Jeff Zucker. I think you can see where I went wrong. Mark I was Zuckerberg. thinking of Mark Zuckerberg. So I accidentally mixed up my fascist, tyrannical, free speech-hating, censorious douchebags. So mm. please forgive me <laughs> for doing that, that mix-up. Did- we always correct ourselves over here at Carl Pooling. The facts matter. So please forgive me for mixing up too jackasses
1: did I did mark it. did mark reinstate donald trump's uh twitter i'm sorry not his twitter yeah no he's back he's alive on instagram and Facebook. so
0: great
1: yeah i don't was, care
0: mark mark zuckerberg sucks less than jack dorsey but he still sucks
1: yeah no I, I i i completely agree uh mark please take our money for our advertising campaigns um yeah please please mark Please. I have
0: never, I have never been <laughs> harassed more on a daily basis than when I was spending two dollars a day or three dollars <laughs> a day advertising this show on Facebook. The word yeah. conservative, and it's just like they need a death threat over there. Look, they use the c word, but yeah. the longer one, right, um, with more <laughs> syllables. It, it, it's insane, but uh, um, happy, happy to uh, still be on Facebook for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, it won't. It won't last. So today we're going to talk about art, a little bit of art. I know we had a heavy episode last week. I've had some folks reach out to us about that. Uh, Hunter, I don't even know if I shared this with you, but I've had several people reach out uh, through text messages, some of our listeners uh, who know me a little bit better, and uh, say thank you, say it was some of our best work, say oh, wow. Uh, uh, one one comment that I'm not going to read in its entirety because I it was just through a personal channel, but I agree with it, so I'm going to repeat it. One of my friends said that, um, effectively, conservative people aren't going to change America. Conservative ideas are. Beautiful wow. sentiment, and I totally agree. So, thank you for everybody that wrote in about that episode. That was really great to see. Today, we're going to take the gas off a little bit and talk about some art, and uh before we do that, how about some roadkill?
1: Yeah, um, roadkill is gonna be a little different uh, mm. tonight. Um, typically, roadkill is us running is noticing the uh, dead carcass on the side of the road and going, "Look, that's funny." Uh, it doesn't sound funny when you explain it like that, huh? Yeah, that um, B
0: minus on that <laughs> B- explanation. B minus, and- Hunter. Be lucky that it's a B minus, because I allocated all of your extra credit to it. It was really like a D (laughs) plus.
1: Can't make that joke. And then uh, moving on. Uh, So this week uh, is about uh, somebody who committed the roadkill. Um, Bill Burr, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, You know him from, not Bill Burr, crud. Uh, Go back. Rewind. Um, Oh, man, I was excited. Not Bill Burr. Bill Barr? Uh, Nope, not Bill Barr. Who's the... I have to Google. Was Uh, it a
0: comedian?
1: Yeah, late night show. Trevor Noah. No.
0: Oh, that's right. You said comedian. (laughs) Um, Nice.
1: Bill Maher. I got there.
0: Oh, gross.
1: Okay. So... uh, yeah. Bill Maher, ladies and gentlemen, um, he he did the good deed this week. Uh, Bill Maher did what I think is an excellent point, um, speaking to his left-leaning on- audience. And to sum it up simply, Bill went on for a five-minute little rant about how the people who stormed the Capitol are not the people that voted for Trump. And I think that is a fantastic point to make. Simply put, he said there are five thousand people that stormed the Capitol last week and seventy-four million people that voted for Donald Trump. And to um make a both of those to treat both of those groups as the same is a huge mistake, right? And there's a lot of people in that seventy four million who thought what happened was a terrible tragedy. And there's a you know those 5 million people don't speak for them. 5,000, yeah. 5,000, excuse me. Yeah, I don't know. Words are hard for me today.
0: Well, good for Bill Maher. I feel like he is not a very principled person, and by that what I mean is that I don't see a lot of consistency in his point of view. In fact, the major consistency I see is that he just drops hammers on whatever side he perceives to be ahead in the horse race. Sure. Don't get me wrong. I don't dislike the only consistency I see with him is being a contrarian. But you know what? Good for him for saying what needed to be said in this case. Um, because, you know, we've had folks like Don Lemon getting on CNN saying effectively that everybody voted that voted for yeah. Trump is a fan of what happened in the Capitol and supported what happened in the Capitol. Right. And to that, what can we do other than award him the weekly long walk, short peer award? And even Chris Cuomo <laughs> was on the show, and Chris trying Cuomo to stop was like. Him. He's like, you don't mean that, really, do you, Don? And Don's like, I do. And Chris was like, mm, mm, Nah. <laughs> and then end segment. Mm. Uh, man, Don Lemon, mm, just not a very intelligent human being. Um, you yeah. could call him the Trevor Noah of news anchoring.
1: <laughs> I I think the thing about him that's so interesting is like, you look at him like a couple years back. And he's just like a completely different person with completely different viewpoints. And oh, I yeah. haven't I haven't done the um, analysis as to why. Um, I think you could think of a lot of different things that make sense there. The simplest way to document it that makes it the easiest without needing all of the answers is just simply unprincipled, right? If your principles yeah. change that quickly, you know... More than likely, it was because you weren't grounded in something in the first place. Um, you could have come across new information and everything like that, but somebody that's willing to condemn half of America uh, strikes me as unprincipled as well, so that seems more evidence for that um, bizarre thought process. Of course, there's not a lot of principled people, I think, on cable television anyway.
0: So. It's not really a refinery for principles. I'll say this, too. No. If you literally think if, – if truly in your soul you think that half the country is in support of what happened at the Capitol, then you're an idiot. Truly yeah. you're an idiot. And if you don't think that and you say it anyway, then you truly in your heart must believe that you're talking to idiots. And I think I know which one is the, the truth. I think Don Lemon knows that he's talking to idiots. I think that these people know – that we know or at least that we're finding out that they hate our guts cancel your cable get rid of it you don't need it i um but good good on bill Maher.
1: that was a really good way Christopher, to say that everyone who watches cnn is an idiot see that, um, see that was what nice. that was nice thank you yeah high level play there
0: yep and uh <laughs> But, honor they are reliable sources, according to themselves. And Apple is indeed a banana, Christopher. I, I, I love how they made a show on CNN that basically discussed CNN's own takes and calls it Reliable Sources. And then, that wasn't enough. They had to make Brian Stelter in charge of it. Uh, the balding leader of the Lollipop Guild. <laughs> Anyhow. Dude, and... <laughs> oh, no. And even... What's the guy that I like from CNN? Uh, You know, the kind Jake of... Tapper? The kind of handsome one. Yeah, even he's been putting his foot in his mouth and anus cyclically this week. I mean, he just kicks himself in the pants and then eats his own toes. I don't understand what's going on with him either.
1: Uh, I think this... CNN's I think having a rough deal. week. I think here's the deal. If you've been touting the Trump is authoritarian and the people who follow him like his authoritarian leanings. Um, The Capitol riots were a huge, like I was right moment for you. Right. Well, they're the best look you're going to get. Yes. And we don't need to do the whole analysis there, but with that much wind in your sails, if you're not careful, you'll overshoot. Does that make sense? You'll miss the mark. Oh, sure. And so, sure. I, th- and so I, think, I think I've noticed a lot of people that I like on the left doing that this week. Um, I'm a little bit more of a fan of uh, Matthew Iglesias than you. Um, I, think he oh, I, saw, a- I saw his take on Twitter, which is quite good. Some of his takes on Twitter have been actually really good. And then some of his takes on Twitter have been actually just kind of like looking like him doing a happy dance. You know, like, it's been a combination of both of those. Um, I, I meant his take specifically,
0: so that we don't throw anyone off, about whether or not Trump was a fascist in this instance, which he said sure. he was not. I thought that was a really honest thing to do. It was. I can't it, believe that Vice kicked him out,
1: or Fox. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Uh, but but you get my point is, I think, I think some people have been like, you know, ah, what I said was right, and now it's time to do a happy dance. And it's like, right. well you got to be careful in those moments, I think.
0: Well, I, I would even say it like this. I, lo- I liked your analogy, Hunter. It's not that there's a bunch of wind in your sails. It's that you're never going to get a better look at telling people that there's wind in your sails. The right. person who called the National Guard in to expel the coup isn't the fascist. And so right. it's like there, there is, there is nothing about Trump's response to this really that is fascist to me words have meanings that doesn't mean any of it was good but none of it was fascist and but these people who have been saying this for four years it's like it never happened but now is your best chance to go look how right we were it's nobody saw this coming but
1: yeah well i think the thing that's important to remember is what was being talked about was not a violent insurrection by the populace it was trump was going to hole up in the white house right right and those are very different things um and right. it's it's in the language of what you're saying there too so and, enough and, about and now th- oh, this is this one is more thing about that, that. <laughs> one more
0: thing about that. well it's just that that this is very clearly the argument that proves too much right yeah if if, yeah. if this is fascist so is everyone so
1: i am a fascist
0: all right <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well, anyway, you guys turn in your guns and quit listening to this show. Uh, yeah, that was
1: enough. It was a good run. What was that, episode 50-something? I, I just figured we'd get, it, we'd get it over
0: with. Let's just get it over with. Just look, get it over you've with. learned all you need to learn. You're ready to get out there.
1: Yeah, look at you, so young and wise in the ways of the world. Chris! Wolf in the white van. I'm going to... I don't That's even know the... if you can pick this up on the mic. That's that, paper, that, that, y'all.
0: This is the first, the world's first 4D audio podcast experience. That was actually the right. sound of ruffling pages. That's right. And if you're sitting down, uh, we're going to spray stink spray on you, drip water on your head, and then shoot you in the back with a pole cue. I don't know why anyone ever goes into a 4D theater. That's <laughs> <I> just a <okay. laughs>
1: um, Are you enjoying watching this movie? Here's a rat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's going to bite your ankles.
0: <laughs> you know what would make the Muppets take Las Vegas even better, is if yeah. you went in dry and left dripping head to toe <laughs> because a dog licks the screen in three so dimensions. So freaking gross. Uh, <laughs> anyhow, um, <sighs> we're going to talk about the Wolf and White Van today. Yes. You wolf. can't say wolf. <laughs> I say the word wolf badly. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I do, but I do. So it's probably going to sound like wolf a lot because that's how I say it when I'm talking fast, and I don't want any crap about it. All right, that being said, let's get into it. This is a book. It's the first novel of John Darnielle. Now, the eagle-eyed, or should I say eagle-eared, but now I'm second-guessing that, because I don't know how well eagles hear. So, people who listen good might have noticed that John Darnielle is the an instigator and singer-songwriter for a little band called The Mountain Goats. Now, I love The Mountain Goats. I have on my wall a poster um, of one of their albums that came out upon my birthday. I will not tell you which one. And uh, I have a little patch right here that says I only listen to The Mountain Goats. Uh, I I love The Mountain Goats very good. John Darnielle has an interesting story, and he is one of the most prolific songwriters of all time. Uh, he's a he's a Christian, and that's probably the only thing that we agree on. Um, sure. He was born in Texas, somewhere, I believe, West Texas, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, you know what? I can just confirm that with the powers of the internet. Hunter, vamp. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um- It's like Christopher was saying, this is the second novel. uh, Mr. Darnielle has written or the first. I thought it was the the first. It is the first. He's written two novels. Um, I don't know. I I don't know if Chris has read the second novel yet. Um, I will say this is the. I'm dumb. He was born in Bloomington, Indiana, and he grew up in San Luis Obipso. Obipso. Very cool. Um, I don't know if Christopher has read the second novel or not, and we're not going to discuss it tonight, but I will say that between the two, I think this is my favorite. So if you're planning on picking one up, um, it depends on how you want to read. If you want your dessert, I would save this for last. If you want the quintessential Darnielle uh, novel experience, I would go ahead and pick this one up and you, don't, you can leave Universal Harvester behind. That being said, it's a great book, and it doesn't take maybe four, four hours to read. So, you know, just depending on how you feel about books.
0: Right. So born in Indiana, moved to California. Uh, he grew up with an abusive stepfather, and he actually goes over his relationship with his stepfather kind of start to finish in his book or his album called The Sunset Tree, which is one of my favorites. And then he basically leaves home after high school and goes to Seattle and he lives on the streets of Seattle for a while. I'm sorry, not Seattle, Oregon, Whew. Portland. You're doing good with places today, bud. I, I, it's just all, they all run together in my head now. Um, okay. Yeah, also, I get I'm, that. I'm a, uh, I'm, no good. I mean, when you have two cities that are both on fire, they all look like Gotham to me. So I just sure. choose one. Uh, so anyway, he moved up to Portland, <laughs> Oregon, and he basically got addicted to meth on living on the streets in Portland. He did a bunch of other hard drugs too, but he was shooting up meth. Um, he was trying to play shows, trying to grind, do his thing. He eventually got help from a friend who helped him get clean and kind of got him set up he basically found jesus and got off the meth and just started writing songs Uh, his early records are just him in the basement with a tape recorder and you can hear the whirring of the tape recorder kick in as he starts to record his songs Uh, go listen to his album all hail west texas they just had a great remaster of it and you can hear the tape deck start up in every single one of the songs, and he just he just played music because he said he had to. He was gonna do. He was gonna, you know, use meth again if he didn't just stay busy writing songs. He says even though he he releases so many albums. I mean, album after album after album. He's so prolific. prolific. Yeah. He's, he he said in an interview a couple of years ago that he's probably forgotten more songs than he's recorded. Um, right. It was just a nervous thing for him to keep off the drugs and uh that but he basically talks about how he would just pray and write songs and he wrote some really really impressive stuff in that time now he's got a family and uh they're happy and he continues to make great music it's way different than it used to be there's way less nervous energy in it it's very relaxed and poised um, he's got some beautiful albums about his relationship with his dad and, and the Bible and the kids today. And it's just a really, he, he's got a really storied career. But he's also started writing novels. And so this culmination of experiences that he has, uh, I, I find coalesced into the story in Wolf and White Van. So we're going to talk about that this week for a couple of reasons. One is that it's a great novel in its own right and two the topics that are expressed in it are eternal i mean they are archetypal foundational stories and themes and so we highly recommend reading it and we're gonna jump into to some of those topics so spoiler alert if you want to pick up the novel and read it it's a pretty it's a pretty quick read do that and then listen to our discussion um if you just want an overview of the plot, uh, as much as there is one, then
1: hang out. Yeah. Um, with that being said, uh, you know it's 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 a little difficult to spoil in some respects because um, I feel like when you start to read it, it becomes pretty clear what it's about pretty fast, and although it doesn't necessarily, um, it feels it. It, I mean, we'll talk a little bit about this, I'm sure, Chris, but the, the novel doesn't necessarily go from A to B. It almost feels like swirling down a drain. And as yeah. you, the novel goes on and on and on, you continue to like get you You see that center. And I, I would say you know, somewhere halfway through the novel, you're pretty positive of where this is going to end up, if that makes sense. Now, that doesn't right. mean... I think a lot of great songs are kind of constructed in that way. Where it's like the emotional bent of the song is kind of, it's only three minutes, you know, so there's not a lot to hide. And you've got to get people to that place you want to take them pretty well, you know, and kind of build that up. And also, like, you know, songs don't have complex themes in them to some extent because they're, they're so much the emotion of the ride there too is is in the song Mm -hmm. if that makes sense it's not saying your lyrics can't be complex or anything like that but it is like there's just not enough time to be about more than one thing which is why like you have a love song right whereas you can have a romantic novel that has revenge and uh you know fighting with your father father and all that and you can have that a bunch of songs too but i say that all to say is you know this story is written in such a way that I feel like it was written by a musician and it kind of hits you that way as you read it. Um, And if you know, Oh, go ahead. It's much
0: like, much like songwriting, um, which I've done a fair bit of not on the scale or depth of, of John, but much like songwriting, it is about how deceptively can we get one idea across an idea that might even be hard to articulate in prose. Like I I have the proto-arrangement of a concept or a theme or a feeling that I want you to have, and I'm going to make you have that feeling without describing how I want you to feel. A lot of good songs are written like that, and uh, a lot of pop songs are not just kidding but not really so but but this book is like that it it's deceptive in the way that it makes you have a realization of this one kind of hard to describe central idea so
1: yes yeah i, I love that um i want to read this little bit real quick cuz i think it just encapsulates that so well and then i really don't want to read any more from the book cool. um but this is, this is from Chapter 3, and I think once you hear this, you'll get a really good idea of what we're talking about. Um, there are games I'm prouder of than Trace Italian, but it doesn't re- really matter how I feel. Trace Italian is what built Focus Games, and if people know my name at all, Trace Italian is why they know it. It was my first idea. They say your first ideas are the best ones. I think it's maybe dangerous to think that way all the time. But when I remember finally building Trace Italian, seeing how it was actually going to come together and really work... Then I know what people mean about their first ideas being the best. There is something fierce and starved about first ideas. It's that last line, Christopher, which reads to me almost as a song lyric, right? Oh, yeah. Where it's not—it's not about the story at all. In fact, it doesn't even sound like it's the narrator. It's almost—it's almost the author right there. Right. Do you see what I'm oh, saying? Yeah. 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 No, John comes through loud and clear in this entire book.
0: And as someone that knows, I don't know, most of the lyrics to his songs, Sure, he, he's directly quote, quoting at points. That's not one of them. But, I mean, he definitely is writing little bits of poetry and little songs throughout, throughout the novel, which is, was really cool as far as yeah. I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, Agreed. Yeah. And and a lot of the book is like that. And, and maybe after we describe what it's like, we can describe what it is. Um, but a lot of the book follows that pattern where it's, it has these beautiful little vignettes, um, like Hunter said, it's circling the drain. Well, on the path there, it's not this happened, then this happened, then later this happened, and now this happened. It's almost like you're looking into the window of someone's mind, and you you hear their thoughts, and their thoughts might might stray. But more than stream of consciousness, it's more like the seasoned reflections of someone who spent a lot of time trying to understand themselves and what happened. And Mm -hmm. and that's what it seems like. He's got a beautiful way of describing what's happened in his life and what's going on with his head and articulating the inarticulable and, and making, making beautiful what to others is surely mundane. A lot of the thoughts that the, the narrator has, um, are, are well rehearsed in that he's got a a lyrical metaphor to explain them to you without being too uh, dogmatic or direct and it's it's really well written and that's exactly how john writes his songs um and and it kind of jumps back and forth to different little pictures like that as you approach the the calamity let's say yeah
1: yeah, I think the best way—the best way to just bring that into focus—and something we need to say, just so it kind of hits in people's minds—is this is a non-linear story. Um, yep. What we get are flashes of this character's, who I think we'll break down here as soon as we're done with this, different different parts of his life when he was in when he was a kid, uh, when he was older when he was with his girlfriend, when his girlfriend came over to his house after she had already been married, like all these different little sections. And they're not told to us in order. They're told to us in the order that we can understand the ending of the book. right? Right. And that's kind of John's whole perspective here. Um, I will say I'm not a big fan of nonlinear storytelling. I'm a huge fan of flashbacks. Um, I think sometimes there, as you're telling your story, there's a good reason to like step out of the action, go back and explain this character, what happened to this character now. Um, but picking out different random moments in time typically is a turnoff to me. Um, the best authors in the world told their stories, you know, from A to B for the most part. And, you know, they're, they're some of the best books to read. I feel like sometimes you can just be a little too cute. And Mm -hmm. I think this is something we've said before, Christopher. This really doesn't read like a novel. It doesn't necessarily really read like a story. And the haphazard approach, although obviously aimed in a certain direction, fits it really well. Um, And I think because it's not necessarily about the story, so to speak, but it's more about the feeling that this character is going to have and the state that they're constantly in and they can't escape from. The haphazard approach works really well for me. Um, mm-hmm. It's more about explaining that that lonely person who we'll talk about a little bit more than it is necessarily about. Um, uh, I would say it's 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 more about explaining nihilism than it is about telling you a story about nihilism, and I think I, I think that's what the story, I think that's what the novel's attempting to do.
0: I think that's certainly true. I, I would say, um, let's just go ahead and flash the huge spoiler. Uh, yeah. alert warning lights here. Cause I think we should tell the story in a reverse ish so that people understand what's happening here. I love
1: it. Um, yeah. Let's do it.
0: But, but yes, it, the whole book, if I could sum it up in one sentence, it's, it's describing the inadequacies of nihilism. Yeah. And so Wolf and white van is the story of a failed suicide attempt. The character when he was young, uh, put a shotgun in his mouth, and pulled the trigger. He missed his vital parts, but in the process, he blew his face completely off. And he had some reconstructive surgery and was breathing through a tube, and he spent a lot of time in the hospital. And while he was in the hospital, he came up with this post-apocalyptic fantasy world, and he converted that world into a game, a play-by-mail game called The Trace Italian. And the the way the game would play out is he had a map and some story branches and arcs and people would write letters back and forth and he would choose what moves they took based on the descriptions in their letters and he would progress them along. And he it, it was all born out of his agony while in the hospital um being resuscitated and rebuilt effectively. Then the story talks a little bit about what happened before and what happened after uh that central event. But the that's where the story ends. That's the last lines of the book are his descriptions of his own failed suicide attempt. So mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah,
1: it it's It's something, when you begin to read the book, it never clearly states exactly what's wrong um, with the main character's uh, face. Uh, You kind of are always hearing it mentioned. You're kind of always him discussing it about the noises he makes when he talks about how it's difficult for people to understand him. And you're kind of just left scratching your head going, what's going on here? you know why why does this person not have the ability to speak was it a birth defect was it on and on and on and then sometime maybe in the first 50 pages you get the mention of the word you know the bullet right and you're like oh right okay um it should be bbs and shells but you know it's not important that's not what we're here for chris (laughs) right this this isn't gun pooling it Um, might not have been a shotgun
0: i can't remember
1: fair enough okay fair enough it doesn't matter um but, um, and then you start to you know you begin asking yourself, well, what happened? Who shot him? What what happened? Uh, you learn that there that they ha- that the parents have a gun at home, right? So you're thinking, well, was it that gun? You know, and then as pieces and stuff starts to get further and further down the line, you can pretty much tell before you get to the end of the book that this kid did this to himself, right? It just becomes more and more obvious his language around it the direction he's heading how upset he is with his life and Mm -hmm. then um you get the idea eventually the the strange thing is um the most uplifting part of the book actually occurs right before he attempts suicide um which to and, and th-
0: that's both temporally and in the actual writing of the book. Um, yes, it, like in, in uh, to be to be very clear, this scene happens just before the final scene of the book. So these two take place in order, but it's also that that's the proper order that they'd happened with in the actual s- timeline of the story. So right.
1: right. Yeah, it's it's kind of strange because um, he goes essentially to this, he goes on a date and he goes with this girl and she mentions to him um, that she believes in Jesus. And it's this very odd moment in the book because the whole book, like we've mentioned before, feels like this drain. There's this depression. There's this lack of friends. There's this lack of people that he can involve with. There's this whole problem where everybody he talks to hates who he looks like and hates everything about him. And then it's just like, It's the only part of the novel where there's any hope and you feel it when you read it because it's like, well, I believe in Jesus, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and, and he kind of says like, he believes in Jesus, but not the one they learn at church. And, you know, they kind of, uh, she kind of says, regardless of that, I still believe sort of thing. And they kiss, um, they have an experience with each other and, oof, euphemism. And then they... Uh, and then he goes home, and he is about to kill his parents, and yeah. doesn't go through with it, and then sticks the gun in his mouth and tries to kill himself. And yeah, it's so a what's really...
0: Interesting- what what's interesting at that part is we already know that this lady goes on to have a significantly better life, fantastic life. Than he does. life. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We already know that she's happily married, that she is still bright and bubbly and kind, and um, we also learned that she took care of him, uh, after he was injured. That even despite his parents' wishes, she would show up at the hospital, hospital. And talk with them and be kind to him when a bunch of people wouldn't when most people can't even really look at him or talk to him so we we see this character we know that this character's future is light and then they have this crucial moment where the narrator's nihilism is juxtaposed to the hope and truth and beauty of this other character and then we watch their lives diverge wildly so you already Mm -hmm. know that while this is happening so it's a really interesting passage to read because it's it's stupid and it's hopefulness i mean this girl is not she doesn't know why she believes what she believes right she believes and it works and we know what happens next we know at that point that something terrible happens to to the narrator even if we don't know why and we right. know that she goes on to a fulfilling existence. So yeah. it, it's a it's a very it's a beautiful real nostalgic portion of the book. I think it would be for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um but it's also it, it's shadowed by the specter of what's coming, but it doesn't feel like doom. It act, because of the way that it's laid out, it actually feels like the solution. It's like it, it does resolve. Yeah. It resolves the, the climax that hasn't occurred yet when you yes. read that part of the book. And I think it's supposed to. And that's one of the really magical things about that section of the book. Anyway, Hunter, go on.
1: No, I, I think you nailed it. Because I, I think like you read the end of the book, and it almost feels like it's the tragic thing that you know is coming but the thing that actually makes everything better happened about four pages before. Right. Right. And it was like, you had this option and you chose not to take it. And I, I think the thing to me that's really interesting is why the character in the book, um, make, makes that choice. And I don't think there's, I don't think there's anything concrete that we're given there. Um, I mean, he seems to have some issues with his parents, you know about some of their rules and the fact that they don't understand him. He gets picked on at school a good bit, you know. But there isn't like a, you know, and he likes playing D and D and things like that. Um, but there isn't like a really like real reason beyond that. And not saying that that can't lead people to that. You know, life's hard and you're in a vulnerable state when you're a child and a bunch of other things like that. But we never get like well you know, my dad abused me and that made me think life wasn't worth living or mm-hmm. somebody left me. And that made me think like life wasn't worth living. It kind of just is, there's a bunch of bad stuff. And tonight was the night I decided to get rid of it all. You know,
0: it, 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 I think we get some glimpses as to what it might be.
1: Sure. So I, I agree.
0: A couple things we learned about him that are ancillary, but important. He has anger issues. He talks with a, a spirit in his head. Um, and he envisions himself as Conan the Destroyer sitting on a throne of skulls, which is right. directly from his song "Autoclave." Also, his oh. date his date is from his song, um, uh, "This Year," which is pretty cool. They go to the arcade uh, yeah. and hang out, yeah, yeah and too drink. funny, yeah. So anyway, that's kind of interesting. But he's got these issues, right? But where do they stem from? And I think John's getting at here that. The worst issue isn't the issue of uh, it not the issue that's seen, you know. John himself was addicted yeah, to, to yeah, intravenous exactly right. methamphetamine. He had an abusive father. Um, those kinds of things, and he discusses those at length. This kid has no issues. I mean, right. his parents and him don't see eye to eye, and they might be overbearing and they don't get along, but they're not abusive. They're um, at least not not demonstrably so and they you know he doesn't he doesn't have any pre-existing deformity he's a little lame he gets picked on a little but he still has this anger and this rage and I think that and and the the voices that talk to him and the visions he has of him destroying beautiful things for the sake of destroying and I think John really is driving at his nihilism here He's even got freedom, you know his parents aren't they have opinions, but they're not overbearing about their opinions right you know they let him they're go just di-
1: they're just disapproving right right they're not they're not stopping him in any way,
0: and I think that that's so so key, but you know he dresses funny and and listens to metal music and you know goes in his room and ignores them and disrespects them, and they don't do anything about it. they just disapprove of it mm-hmm. and I think that's the main key, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's, and it's an idea that we might have talked about before on carpooling, pooling, but it's, a, it's it's also an idea I think that uh, Jordan Peterson expounds on when he's talking about is it you know the edipal mother and how much do you protect your children and, and, and you know he talks about the idea don't let your children do anything that will make you resent them um, because if you hate your children, you're capable of worse than you think you are. Here's a kid who, has these parents that ignore him in, in a certain sense and, and don't care so much what he does with his time. And because of that, he has no landmarks in his moral environment. He, right. He's rewarded for nothing and he's chastised for nothing. Mm-hmm. And I think the anger that he feels is the anger that anyone feels when they don't know which way is up and which way is down. It, you know, he can't do any wrong because there's no metric for wrong, but he also can't do any right. And that's infuriating and, and damaging and destructive to a kid because it, it means quite literally that nothing I do matters. And that's, you know, it's like I'd rather have someone say they hate me than ignore me because if you ignore me, then nothing I do matters to you, right? right. At least if you hate me, then something I do matters. Uh, and he's the he's the latter, you know? Nothing... Nothing matters to his parents. And I think that that's the milieu he's raised in, and he realized that that nothing matters to him.
1: Right. I think this is one of the reasons, Chris, why we see just an obsession with pop culture, Um, whether it's the movies or the music. There is a reference to some kind of album or whatever, Conan even, right, Mm -hmm. just throughout this entire story and it's like one of the things that we get is you know like this movie i used to watch how cool it was i liked it i remember going here this is the story where i saw it and it's all empty every single bit of it because it's just it's vapid entertainment right and it's it's sold as vapid entertainment there's even like these uh novel series right with like um all these uh, like fantasy novels right of like conan like conan-esque Um, adventures in there and you read them and you go that sounds great and all but why is this kid reading these novels why isn't he going out and having the you know why isn't he living these to some extent right and then it kind of that kind of falls back into what christopher's answer is it's an obsession with these lifestyles but not having one yourself there's a lot of that angst in this novel with like the modern um the modern first world life to some extent Right, Mm -hmm. because it doesn't have any challenges, so to speak. Right, the biggest challenge I think we have in the modern world is the challenge of meaning, right, and finding something to do with our opulence, our wealth, and all of that in something that matters. It's like we have all the um problems that have beset mankind taken care of, but we don't have the meaning problem and the wisdom problem solved yet, those are still with us, and that is exactly what nihilism kind of speaks to right is hey you have all these things why aren't you happy to some extent right and that's right. when nihilism can fill that void is because you don't you don't have that meaning you don't have it and it's like well why am i still hurting i guess nothing matters i'll just get i'll just end it to some extent there's a little bit of loophole there but you get the idea and, uh, and go
0: ahead. That's why po- that's why nihilism is such an attractive idea. It's just like postmodernism. Right. It's such a convincing lie. It's just like communism, let's say, because it's mostly true. It's mostly sure. true. Nihilism right. says that no matter what you solve, you'll never be satisfied. Um, there's no material position or gain that you can experience that is going to satisfy you. And that's true. It's just the the conclusion you draw from that is false. Uh, The conclusion isn't, so therefore give up. The conclusion is find something that matters more. Find something imbued with more meaning than material possession or material gain. Um, Dare to believe that there might be something bigger than the objective. And, and right. that's, that's the correct answer. Just like postmodernism is, you know, there's an infinite number of ways in which to interpret a limited set of data. True. Therefore, the only correct interpretation is the interpretation that has the most power. False. False. The, right. Just because there's unlimited explanations doesn't mean that there's not a true explanation. And so right. But but they're insidious because they're based on truth. And that's one of the reasons why I think nihilism is such a huge problem. And one of the reasons why uh, John chooses to write about it. Think about this. It's the problem, as Hunter, as you put it, the, the problem of meaning has always been with us. It's actually the most important problem. However, it answers itself in dire situations it answers it, it the question what do i should i do today that matters is easily answerable if your kid dies if you don't go find medicine right right that has meaning now right uh, but in a situation where uh, i'll call the minute clinic and we'll drive up there after the show that's that's where the modern world has destroyed the easy answers to the meaning problem and so Mm. yeah you Mm. definitely see you definitely see the comfort and and largesse of modern society having the opposite effect intended on the characters in this novel and I, i love what you pointed out i never would have picked that up picked up on that hunter but He's constantly making appeals to something that he perceives to be bigger than himself. You know, oh, this movie came from Hollywood. Oh, this author came from far away. A lot of people are reading this. Heck, even in the game he builds, The Trace Italian, which doesn't pan out for him really either, he is, he is bolstered by the fact that he's creating something that it, it exceeds his own capabilities in that it's a story that's created from a network of people playing together. And yet all of it results in pop culture garbage. Like even right. his appeals to his appeal to a different lifestyle or greater meaning, just as it's another album in his collection at the, at the, in the final analysis. That's a great, right. great catch. I never would have seen that.
1: Well, thank you. And I, I, I love what you're saying there too. I, I think that's why, why this book is such a good book is because it captures that problem which is a real problem right mm-hmm. um and puts it in there and says look everything's going pretty okay with your life why don't you just end it and that's kind of like the that's kind of where this kid is left at the end of the book right and john does a great job of showing the solution to that problem he doesn't let it win because that's not the story he's telling right but mm-hmm because four page earlier he says, well, I believe in Jesus and you kind of feel that moment, regardless if you believe in Jesus or not, you just feel the tension on the, in the book just drop for a minute. Yeah. Right. And I, I I think there's no other way to read it like that. And it's like, there's, there's the path out. It's not the whole answer. It's not everything you need at this moment, but it's the first step down the right road. Right. And we, we know the answer to what our, to what the character in the novel chooses to do. But, the answer then becomes the question that you get to answer, which is so cool, right? It's like, what do you want to do in spite of that? You know, do you want to live the vapid pop culture? I'm even going to use the term nerdy lifestyle, right? Or is it, or is it the idea that there is, you know, this other meaning that you can live that's actually beyond rationality? That's what the book argues there at the end. Um, yeah. So anyway, I, I really, I really enjoy it. I think, I think it, I think it's. You know, it's it's hard for me as somebody who likes books to tell you like this is one of the best stories I've ever written or I've ever read. Excuse me. Uh, I'm John Darnielle. Nice to meet all of you. Spoiler um, alert: Hunter. Yeah, exactly. No. Yeah, exactly. But because I really feel like it's something else, and I don't mean that in a in a disparaging yeah. way at all. It just doesn't feel like a novel. It doesn't necessarily feel like a story. Um, but it, it's really, really good. Um, I think if you have the right personality and tragedy doesn't necessarily um, knock you out, this is a really good book to read just because of the idea that's encapsulated within it. It's good art, Um, but I can definitely see uh, disturbed people picking this up or... um, nervous people, anxious people picking this up and having a really hard time with it. I don't think it's necessarily the first book you want to read on this subject.
0: <laughs> yeah, well certainly and, and let's just let's just be clear. It is it's uh it's it's not straightforward with its analysis of the solution being suicide, although it is sure. very clear. It it's, it's sure. The answer is in the book and it's just hard to find. So uh, I'll, let me, maybe we'll close out the discussion of the story with this. Sure. But John goes through his relationship with the game, The Trace Italian. You remember this game that he made up while he was in the hospital being reconstructed. And he keeps talking about the Trace Italian in this post-apocalyptic world. The Trace Italian, the namesake of the game, is also a location in the game. And it is basically heaven. It is a safe location... Where players can get to where they are free from the dangers and the pain of the outside world. And once you get there, if you get there, you can travel into the Inner Sanctum. And in the Inner Sanctum, there's double steel reinforced doors. And once you get inside, effectively you win. You've beaten the apocalypse. And that is the goal. There's some misadventures with the game these kids play it and they end up uh dying while they were playing the game because they started taking it too real realistically yeah. and there's some other people that he bumps into along the way um that affect his understanding of the game but he talks about the trace italian in very endearing terms and o- and at times and then at other times almost disgusted terms and he talks about how foolish the players are for trying to get there because there's nothing there. He says it several times that even if they get there and they can't ever get there, but even if they get there, they'll realize that there's nothing there for them. And Mm. it's weird because he's based so much of his life post his suicide attempt on this game that he holds it in such a regard. The final sequence of the book has him describing his own Uh, his own suicide attempt and throughout the book he'll write actual passages from the game the trace italian in italics as he's writing that final chapter for the first time he starts blending the actual prose of the story with the the italics from the trace italian uh, this inner sanctum this heaven and what you realize is that he arrives at the trace Italian inside the inner sanctum simultaneously. When he pulls the trigger on the gun, he thought with all the meaningless chaos that surrounded him, that the, the solution of just making it all go away would work. And he based his entire existence on achieving that goal, and it didn't. there was nothing there. And he says it directly, that the double doors closed, and he thought he'd finally be safe, but one, he didn't actually get there, and two, it didn't have anything there for him. So it, even though it's a book about suicide, it's actually incredibly anti-suicide, if you carefully read the themes. And I think that that's John telling us what his perception of nihilism is in general. That right. that it it it's not sufficient. It's inadequate, and it will leave you uh, just like you were when you started your journey, except for horribly disfigured. And you know, we know that that John takes his faith very seriously. You can actually listen to him on a, a podcast called "I Only Listen to the Mountain Goats." um and he talks about it quite frequently on that podcast but i i think that's his way of saying in the book that he believes that he did truly give the answer four pages before um, right to believe in in something bigger than yourself namely jesus and mm. uh, i think that's a really beautiful beautiful statement on nihilism and self-harm and yeah it's not you're right honor it's not necessarily a novel um but it's also one of the best books I've ever read. So, anyway, it does
1: say it does say a novel on it though. Um, <laughs> so,
0: I mean, it wouldn't lie to me, right? Read it for yourself and decide. It's but it's hard to even say that there's a plot. It's more like just a window.
1: And, it's like a description of an event. And, and, as and weird as even, that sounds,
0: you could imagine the narrator thinking this entire book. In the span of three minutes. Yeah. Um, anyway, it's quite good. Yeah. And I, I think it's quite good because it's quite true. So, yeah, John Darnielle's Wolf and White Van. Give, yeah. give it a read.
1: Give it a read. It's not a huge money investment and it's not very long. Um, but read it in a happy place. You know, find your happy place and read it there. Don't go to the dark zone. You know, stay out of the apocalypse. Get to your Trace Italian. Flip Don't open the pages. Allow Kaiba to banish you to the Shadow Realm. Oh, Christopher, you promised.
0: I promise nothing when it comes to quoting the two lines I know from Yu-Gi-Oh.
1: Blue eyes, white dragon, I Tool monsters all. are
0: friends, not tools, Kaiba. Oh, no. Actually, I think this it's sh- Pegasus that banishes you to the Shadow Realm. Why would Pegasus do such a thing? Why would he do such a thing? Maybe because you're a sniveling, whiny, pathetic, doughy dork. FNXfit.com <laughs> FNXfit has so many creams and tinctures and ointments and potions and brews. Uh, rub them on your pecs and uh, get kicked out of the, the MLB. No. Um, right on. But instead... Get big and strong. Be the healthiest version of you. They've got products that help you stay hydrated, help you sleep, help you get yoked like me. Um, Mm -hmm. Hunter, have you been enjoying any of their products recently?
1: Yeah, I took their fish oil for a bit, and I did enjoy that. It's good for me, and it also gives me strong hearts.
0: Strong hearts. Great news.
1: I've uh, (laughs) I've
0: been hooking myself up with some of their coconut lime hydration powder. And Ooh. honestly, I I feel I I have the consistency of a watermelon, a thick no. rind on the outside, and the inside mm. is just just fully liquid, which has been very like pink very flesh. Nice. Yeah, yeah, but but <laughs> starchy and just dripping wet, uh, which what, is exactly you how seeds? you want to be. Okay, <laughs> okay, skip. yeah. <laughs> um, <Skip>. So <laughs> anyway carlpooling.com slash fnx use checkout code carlpooling for 15 percent off come on if you get yoked you might as well get yoked with us you can get some uh no way protein that's like whey protein but incredulous over there uh carlpooling code at checkout hunter i think that's that's the show uh you can follow hunter at emotional carl you can follow me at chris x carl on all the socials for now um, I'm not going to do that again For this now. time. For now. Okay. For uh, now. Carpooling.com has all of our references and links and everything that you might want to know about the show. You can mm-hmm. email us carpooling at gmail.com. Thanks again to the folks that reached out um, about our last episode. You can like the show on Facebook at Podcast. And, of course, rate us on iTunes. We care very little about your words and very much about your stars. So one five we stars care. for me, please. We need Tim Cook to finally love and appreciate us. Yeah. That's that's when you know you've made it, is when Mine. Tim Apple comes by Tim and gives you a leathery hug.
1: We he know says, the shul. We, we know the shul. We know the show is called carpooling and you might think that's our last name wrong you are sir uh daddy cook disowned us and just gave us microphones and said you'll figure it out that's so we're just trying to get back in his good graces so please all the stars so dad will let us come home yes please give us the stars to make daddy apple happy
0: apple daddy i don't like either of them i love them both. i love all of them look if you've been hanging out too much with your apple daddy go get tested